This is the Power of Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from EY.com. Interesting perspective. Let's see what's going on. Question, what can companies do to get the most out of new technology and deliver value to their customers faster? One answer is to curate ecosystems, join forces with other companies, align capabilities, and share resources. Why? Well, that gives you the opportunity to create new and innovative products and services and accelerate speed to market. According to EY's March 2020 Tech Horizon Leadership Perspectives on Technology and Transformation Study, 68% of corporate business leaders they surveyed said that ecosystems and partnerships, there's our key word, this show is the power of partnerships. Ecosystems and partnerships are seen as the only way to succeed in today's market. That's very telling. So here's, let's do a reality check for our listeners around the world. You might have the most wonderful sales team and they've got large deals in their forecast. Their pipeline is jammed up and you're all excited and it's going to be a great year. Aha, but wait. Winning these on a consistent basis remains elusive for many companies. Look in the mirror, do a check. Are you one of those companies where all that wonderful promise, all that energy, all that pipeline and not happening so much? So according to 72% of the 500 corporations and 70 startups in the survey I mentioned, the key ingredients for success include the role of partnerships, there's that word again, in this new era of cloud computing. These companies that have been surveyed said they won a significant customer contract through an innovation partnership. Ah, very interesting. We have a panel of three experts today. We have Neil Cox at TPL Digital. Neil is also one of the sponsors of this series, and he'll tell us about all of his many hats he wears. We have Alex Alexander, but he told me I can call him Alex, Alec Kinsey at SAP and Frank Strack at SAP. And they're going to share their expertise and their experiences. The topic today, if you haven't guessed, the power of partnerships in B2B sales, searching for and winning bigger deals. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. A little hint to our listeners. We are live on Zoom. I have wonderful visual contact with my three experts on the panel. So I may reference them smiling or waving or something and you can't hear it, but I can see it. And that's really important. So first up, Neil Cox, welcome to your own series. It's about time you showed up on a panel here. Neil, would you please introduce yourself in case there's one person in the world who doesn't know who you are? Neil Cox, welcome. Bonnie, thank you so much for such a warm welcome, and it's brilliant to be here today on this panel. Um, it's a subject I'm passionate about, so I've had a career spanning 20 years in the technology industry, really uh, building pipeline uh, major deal programs and marketing programs, uh, everything to do with the science around and processes of building and closing pipeline. I became fascinated with it. And the, the methodologies, psychology around it, everything to do with that whole area of business, uh, which is a lifeline of business, has been my passion. So I've had a lot of executive roles in the industry and then 
latterly formed um, TPL Digital, which specializes in this whole area. And uh, the IoT Business Council which is really about the emerging IoT sector and the ecosystems that support that whole industry segment. So, yes, delighted to be here with this panel. Thank you very much, Neil. We're experiencing a little bit of shaky on your audio, but we heard about 92% of what you said, and I think okay, we're fine. Good. People know. So we might have to have you call in. If we lose it, we'll let you know. But we're delighted to have you, and thank you so much. And let's go to Alex Kinsey. Alex, please, it's your turn. Introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, everyone out there in the audience. So my name is Alex Kinsey. I'm the Regional Vice President for Mid-Market Sales in the Middle and Eastern Europe region uh, at SAP. So with that, starting here with a view out of sales and channels. Yeah, so all my uh, career stuff is around sales, now 15 years in the ICT industry. Yeah, before my time at uh, SAP, I was seven years with Siemens. They're really selling the hard stuff, so hardware, then coming later to the more complex solution um, selling in, uh, within SAP. So now since 2008, I was there in different roles, the channel head in Austria, channel head in Germany. And now in the current role, running, hunting for real hyper-growth companies and uh, new customers with big deals sometimes. And hopefully the one other more and more security, which is uh, maybe a second part, not saying that's not uh, worth to hunt for mega deals, but it's sometimes very, very, very risky. So Alex, I was going to say, did you agree with the, the statistics I read from the survey that EY did that, that that innovation partnership is the key to turning those big potential deals into the real okay. bottom line? Exactly, exactly. I will also come later to, to that in the one or other statement, but this is more true than ever before. Thank you very much, Alex. Pleasure to meet you. And now let's turn to our third panelist, Frank Strack at SAP. Welcome, Frank. Please do us the honor of introducing yourself. Yeah, of course I will. And hello, Bonnie, and hello as well outside uh, to Radioland. So uh, I'm in a role uh, now for nearly 20 years in the IT industry, and I'm focusing on uh, software as a service and cloud and enterprise application market. Uh, currently, I'm at SAP in a role as a regional uh, vice president for leading strategic initiatives in the area of small, medium enterprises, and uh, as you mentioned it already, uh, in the uh, partner and channel business. And uh, one of my topics currently is driving big deals as well with our partners. So it's really a great pleasure to be here today and having this topic. And uh, beside my activity at SAP, I'm as well a startup mentor for um, so-called start, uh, social startups. And uh, before uh, I joined SAP, I was in very, very different roles. So I was in sales roles. I owned my own business even. I was in several general management roles with full, of course, uh, profit and loss responsibility. I worked in strategy and business consulting and as well in merchant and acquisition. And uh, this is in relation to uh, the topic of big deals. Um, my big pleasure is, and I would like to say my advantage, I was sitting on both sides. So I was sitting on the seller side as well. I was sitting on the buyer side. And I not, even, uh, I not only sold or purchased uh, software or so software services, but I sold as well uh, companies and I, I bought as well hardware 
in a very high uh, triple triple digit uh, mul um, million volume. So I'm really fascinated about this topic. Thank you very much, Frank. I have a question for the entire panel before we get to the opening quotes, if you'll allow me. The uh, question is, as we're seeing the world start to come out of almost total shutdown for the global coronavirus pandemic, my question is, uh, is every deal a big deal right now? Has the word big deal changed? In other words, the size of the deal is, let's just, if, if we didn't have the opportunity to digitally transform before Corona, if we didn't have the opportunity to pivot and to be agile and to maybe come up with a new business model and maybe come up with new products using our assembly line or our, or our workforce to do something different during Corona and we're starting up again, is, is our topic today applicable to every deal that needs to make it to the end of the line and become bottom line impact? Neil, let me start. Let's just go around the table quickly for a little extra round table, if you will. Neil, what do you think? Um, I, I think, yeah, the, the large deal scenarios are still prevalent, you know, the um, across industries and uh, across, I mean, I, I work across many organizations and they're typically they have SME and the um, mid-markets, you know, um, go-to-market propositions, but they also have major accounts or major deal programs running alongside that. And I think you need that mix of accounts and so that hasn't changed. Um, I think what does change is the tactics and the methodologies around that and the way you approach. Uh, because what has changed most dramatically is the buying decisions where the customer mm -hmm. is now more in control of those decisions. So unless you um, and have better insights, you know, it's going to be harder to win those deals. Thank you, Neil. Good insights. Alex Kinsey, what do you think? Yeah, I, I really love this uh, concern or let's say this uh, thought. So because when I started into the show, the question was, what is a big deal? Yeah, is it mm -hmm. a triple million digit deal? Is it two yeah. million? It's just a strategic deal. And I can tell you now exactly what you mentioned. In our new customer, let's say play, you celebrate like hell every deal. This is like having really a big deal, no matter in euros, but this is a start of strategic partnership maybe, especially in those times right now and starting Huge, fantastic stories, but maybe with a little, 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 little smaller amount. Yeah, but this is actually a fantastic question also in these special times. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Frank Strack, what do you think? Yeah, of course, I agree with uh, Nick, uh, Neil, sorry, and Alex as well. So uh, if it comes to the importance of a deal, every deal and every customer counts. This is very clear. And especially in these uh, times which we are facing now. But nevertheless, uh, we are distinguishing uh, between very big deals and uh, uh, between volume business. Um, so it's a different go to market and a different methodology, which, from my perspective, uh, is necessary. So, on one hand side, as I said, yes, uh, every deal is important, every customer is absolutely highly welcome, especially in these times. But there is a differentiation. Uh, in, uh, in the bigger deals or in the smaller deals if it comes to go to market and how to approach a customer. It's a difference. 
Thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate the sidebar, if you don't mind that. Now it's the time of the show when I've asked my panelists to send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, something interesting that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And they're going to relate the quote they selected to the topic in their own words right here on live radio slash Zoom. So Neil Cox is up first. And Neil has sent a quote from a 1971 film, Le Mans. Anybody? It's a race. It's an auto race. It was a model of a car. And this is said by Steve McQueen way back in the day. Let me just read a little background here. Neil Le Mans is a 1971 film depicting a fictitious fictional 24 hours of Le Mans auto race starring Steve McQueen features actual footage captured during the 1970 race held the previous June. Top flight Le Mans racing driver Michael Delaney, of course played by McQueen, spots former rival Piero Belgetti's widow Lisa, ooh, buying flowers in the days before the race. He drives to the scene of the accident where her husband was killed the previous year. He has a flashback of Belgetti losing control of his Ferrari, forcing him to crash as well. Sounds like good old-fashioned drama on the racetrack, Neil. Love it. Here's the quote. Racing is life. Anything that happens before or after is just waiting. Wow, Neil. Wow. Talk to me. How'd you find this one? Well, I used to race motorcycles years ago in my youth. And um, McQueen is still known as the king of cool for you millennials. So if you haven't watched Bullet or Le Mans, go and watch it. Um, So, and the great thing about this is McQueen was not only a great film actor, but he was a top racer in his own right. He raced motorcycles, represented the USA, and uh, he raced cars. And I think he went and said in an interview, he only did movies, so he could afford to do racing. <laughs> so, um, but trying to segue that back to the subject, um, anyone that's done sport and wants to be the top of the game in anything knows, and McQueen knew this more than anything, Behind his racing team and the Le Mans, whether you're his own racing or film um, or acting, there's great teams around you, and they've all got diverse skills, and that applies to the subject today. It does come a lot of it back to the team and the diversity of that team and the skill sets. You cannot do it all on your own, um, and that means teams and partnerships and extended teams. And um, in racing, no more so. Um, if you look at Formula One or NASCAR or any of those um, uh, racing scenarios, it's the same. It's the same in business. So that's my segue link back to what McQueen was saying. Um, but you don't get quite the thrill of the racing. I think that's what he was also referring to. But when you win a large deal, it's almost the same. <clears throat> Thank you, Neil. Interesting. There have been some race car movies in the past couple of years. Uh, the Art of Racing in the Rain was one. Uh, Ford versus Ferrari was another. Very interesting. They're bringing back a little bit of that Steve McQueen cool, but he was very, very cool. I I admit that I remember Steve McQueen in the movies and I think on TV as well, but we won't go there anymore. Alexander Kinsey. Alex has sent us a quote from the 14th Dalai Lama known as Tenzin Gyatso. Let me read a little background. 14th Dalai Lama, uh, the name Tenzin Gyatso is shortened from Jetson Jomfel Nagwang Labsang Yeshi Tenzin Gyatso. 
He was born in 1935. Dalai Lamas are important monks of the Gelug school, the newest school of Tibetan Buddhism formerly headed by the Gandan Tripas. From the time of the fifth Dalai Lama to 1959, the central government of Tibet invested the position of the Dalai Lama with what's called temporal duties. Look it up if you want to know more. Here's the quote Alex has selected from the 14th and current Dalai Lama. The purpose of our lives is to be happy. Is big deals equated with happy? Alec, talk to me. <laughs> what a question. Sure. But <laughs> let me explain why I picked that one. Yeah? So this goes back oh, more than 40 years. Yeah? And this means I um, grew up with a very, very nice mother who always reminds me, beginning from the starting day, when you're at the, at the bed and last thing she asks, are you happy? Yeah? And so with that, we started this kind of happiness season later on when it was about finding and seeking the job. Yeah, it was more about seeking the right job to be not happy for one day, but even more sustainable, sustainable happy. And so coming then to my uh, studies where I had the chance to go to Bali, Indonesia, to study there. And um, the side note was, of course, studying and doing a lot of fun stuff, but seeing a lot of people there being really deep from their heart happy without not having anything that especially for us in Europe or maybe also American, that is sometimes maybe an other view that completely open up your thinking. And so with that, I picked this also. Yes, of course, you're happy when you close a big deal, but there's something more. And there's one statement I will come later with. It's more today. Yeah? I will never forget my first deal. I never forget the happiness after this signature. But at the end, now being a little bit more senior, I have to say, it's more about the longer lasting happiness that really makes me run out of the eyes of a CEO. Thank you very much. Interesting perspective. Alex, I was thinking back to sometimes you'll go in a small business, uh, a gas station, a salon, uh, something, a brick and mortar, and you'll see a $20 bill or a $1 bill or a $5 bill scotch taped to the wall. I don't know if they do that in Europe, but we see a lot of that in the U.S. That may be the first dollar they made when that cash register opened and the first customer came in. And that was the first winning deal. Right, Alex? Uh, exactly. It's, it's very, story. very, very relevant. Yes. And, and you see, we see it all over here in the States. Thank you very much. Let's go to the quote Frank Strack has selected from the poet Horace. And the quote is two words. Uh, I will just give a little background here. The quote well, I'll give it is carpe diem. Carpe diem is a Latin aphorism, usually though questionably translated as Seize the Day, taken from book one of the Roman poet Horace's work, Odes, from 23 BC. I'm not going to do the math on how old these two words are, but I know people have this in, in brass and in, in bronze on desk signs, don't they, Frank? People see it everywhere. Carpe diem, carpe diem. It's something we toss in when we want to say to somebody, okay, now's the time, you're alive. Frank, how did you pick this and what does it have to do with our topic today? Yeah, from my perspective, uh, it includes even uh, also what Alex explained before. So Carp Diem uh, knows, of course, to use a day in the right way. And using the day in the, in the right way is not only, uh, let's say, being happy. Uh, as Alex explained before, this is a very, uh, very necessary part of it. But on the other hand side, from my perspective, it's as well um, the uh, element uh, to do the right things during the day. <clears throat> So you should not only ask yourself if you're going to bed at night, uh, are you happy today, um, but how you can improve the next day. 
this is as well a little bit looking into the future and did, did you do the right things uh, during the day? <clears throat> and as we all know, there is no free lunch. There is not only no only happiness, uh, and therefore you have to you have to concentrate uh, the very limited resource of time in doing the right things and the things at the end of the day right as well. And um, related to our topic, uh, my very strong feeling currently is, and uh, which we touched this topic um, already two or three times now during our discussion. So we are living in a very special situation now in the COVID or hopefully post-COVID time. And so it's even more the necessary question, uh, what is the right thing to do uh, during your limited time per day? And um, I guess we are at a tipping point. We have different evolutions now running parallel uh, in our, let's say, IT world. And uh, it's really the day for companies uh, to think and to rethink in a big way their business or their business models. So what my feeling is, uh, carpe diem means as well to our topic, it's the right timing for big deal engagement and thinking and changing business models. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now it's the time of the show where we go to the discussion statements my panelists have created before and sent to me. And we're going to pick a couple, one from each, and see how many we can do. And we'll have a roundtable. I'm going to read part of Neil's number one statement that he sent me before the show, ask him to expand it for about two minutes, and then I will go around the table and ask Alex and then Frank agree or disagree. And remember, gentlemen, we're here for your thought leadership. Raise the bar. So Neil Cox said the following. Business mm -hmm. performance is a derivative of the teams that comprise us, and this is nowhere more visible than in major account win programs. Most often, when brought into major account programs to assess a poor win record, it comes back to problems, here we go, of the initial setup and planning phase. Neil, why don't you expand this a little bit, and then we'll see what the other panelists have to say. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, yes, often what I've found over years is... Um, Teams may have similar setups, but um, when they ask you to look at their win-loss record and the problems of not winning, and that can be quite demoralizing for any team, um, is often those problems come back to the initial setup and how the teams were set up and the processes and methodologies um, and the planning of that program and the, the various elements of those. Um, and often the you know, we look at the team dynamics. So for, let me illustrate. So if you have, if it can, often psychometrics and skill sets, because on a, on a bid team, you need quite diverse skill sets from commercial to finance, to sales, to marketing, pre-sales in the technology sector. Um, and if you've got five or six salespeople with a certain sort of profile of skill set and, you know, one from finance, so if it's not balanced properly, um, often the proposals going in on those major deals may be slightly out of synchronization with what the customers want because of the way it's been approached. Um, so often we go back and then look at uh, the teams. You know, we had a, a period once where we did um, nearly two years on major wins, had a 100% win record. <clears throat> and that was my Naverna. And I spent a lot of time looking why we did win. Um, on that, and I've, 
you know, I'm always struggling to repeat that. And that, a lot of it was down to the diversity of the team, but we also spent a lot of time identifying the ideal customer profile, which is the other mm-hmm. key thing. Yes. Um, and, you know, at that point, our project manager actually was a royal, came from the Royal Navy, so not from the tech industry. And he was a logistics expert and project management expert. So he was the one that put, compiled and kept that team congealed together, you know. And um, and we also had very good people from finance and legal. And so it was a, quite a diverse team of different skills. Um, so I'd certainly say that's quite key. And also often, you know, you can look at um, 20 sales teams and a lot of them will have similar names on their you know, must-win list of Fortune 500 companies, often the same companies. Um, that doesn't mean to say they've done enough work to say, actually, what is our ideal customer profile and which ones suit us best in terms of delivery and expertise. Um, so often we go back and look at that area as well. So often you see companies trying to win large deals before they have any relationship with that company. And I often think it's a step, you know, often, um, and I've done it ourselves where we've done a, um, a relatively good deal of around 13 million euros. And that was one step to prove our expertise at a divisional level. And then we went on to win a bid over 100 million from after that. So we didn't go straight in trying to get the big prize. It was a mm-hmm. step two, three. Based approach. Thank you, Neil. Very, very interesting about the team profile and the customer profile and having relationships. You said a lot of key things there. Alex Kinsey, please join us. Agree or disagree with what Neil said. Alex, you're on. Thanks. Yeah. So I would say there were a lot of dimensions you just uh, touched with this uh, short statement then, because yes, it's about team setup, but I would start with a strong leader, maybe also based on what I really uh, like to read also in the McKinsey study, that here it's about really having the right leader of this kind of project team. Yes, with that, of course, it's important to have the right team set up and it's not a team out of the own company, but it is maybe a team out of the ecosystem. So with that, I would even say, put it on a strong leader who is really able to find the right diverse team. So that I completely, dis, uh, completely agree with that. And then come to the standardization of maybe some metrics you mentioned or something really to judge really the deals to be then successful at the end. Yes. So with that, I'm, I'm with you, but I would start with a strong leader on top of that. Thank you. We're building, building a good profile here. Frank, please join us. Yeah, so far, uh, if, uh, as you said, it's different dimensions. And uh, I agree, of course, on what you said in regards to diversity. I agree on uh, the necessary relationship. And uh, what, from my perspective, is a point you mentioned, uh, perhaps in a different way, what I see as well as a kind of a winning element is the uh, so-called MVS uh, approach, um, minimum uh, viable solution. So uh, sometimes it's really uh, uh, it's really a good idea uh, to start, and this is the same way like uh, startups are testing, for example, their go-to-market model with a minimum viable product. So they are starting with a little uh, piece of a product uh, and then they are extending it uh, if they receive feedback um, from uh, customers. Uh, and it's the same if you are selling a big deal. Uh, it must not be 
or even it can be uh, going in the wrong direction if you're starting with an approach which is much too big for the customer and even not requested by the customer, uh, then of course it's starting, uh, it's better to start in a smaller way and to align with the customer step by step what really the, uh, the needs from the customer are. This can lead to the example which uh, Neil shared with us, uh, extending a deal from 13 to 130 million, if I understood it right. So I would agree on this concept as well. And the, um, the uh, approach to design a team is from my perspective a very easy one. And uh, it's uh, the winning team approach. So what we are really doing, uh, and this is my personal um, um, opinion as well on this, um, if you have a customer and you need to be clear about the buying office who is deciding on a big deal, on a small deal, it's the same. Uh, you need, of course, to match the uh, expectations of the customer. And a strong leader, of course, helps. And a diverse setup, uh, including partners, helps as well. But from my perspective, the, the main uh, ingredient is uh, to match the customer roles and the customer needs. And this is our so-called winning team approach. If we have, if we have uh, an expert who is really the very best expert, and I have seen it by myself already, uh, so we had an expert in a sales team. We have won as uh, a first sales stage. And uh, then the customer came back to me and said it was really a big deal. And the customer said, we are not convinced about your expert. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, he, but he's, he's the absolute expert. And guess what happened? Um, after we have done the first, uh, the first level of implementation, we lost the second one to a competitor. And one of the reasons was uh, you did not change this guy. Even if it was an expert, you really need to be aware that you're really matching the customer needs. Wow, Neil, you started quite a conversation here. Uh, Alex and, and Frank added, this is, I think we just gave the lesson in how to build a winning team from, from the start of what Neil said all the way through leadership, through matching experts to the customer profile. But I have a question for the three of you. And I think Frank just answered the question, but I'll pose it. The topic of our show is the power of partnerships. We're talking about innovation partnerships being the key to winning those big deals, which we decided is not necessarily a monetary amount right now. It's just get back in business, reinvent yourself, reopen and, and get going again, maybe from scratch, maybe from somewhere up that advanced pipeline. So my question is, Neil, let me start with you quickly. And Alex, then I'll tee up one of your statements. I have it ready. But Neil, when you talk about constructing that team, is partnership, is a partner part of that team in the early phase? In other words, what partner do we want to innovate with when we put that winning team together? So is partnership critical or are you talking mostly about an internal team before you bring in a partner? Neil, I'm just curious. Yeah, in my experience, and this is a mostly the technology sector, but other industries have um, similar complexities. Um, the larger the deal, often there's layers of complexities depending on what your service you're offering. Uh, in IT services and you know solution provision, there's usually a consortium bid process, um, and that involves having strategic partnerships in place uh, because no one company today can do everything because of the layers. You know, I see a lot of IoT deals, Internet of Things deals. Not one of those have really been closed on their own. They're usually consortium-led and also sometimes involving government bodies. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so to try and do that on your own just doesn't make sense in today's environment. And I think that applies to a lot of industries. That's what I was hoping you would say. Alex, you're next. What do you think, Ed? Ed? Yeah, this is why I mentioned the leaders is so important. Yeah? So having this kind of so dynamic environment with ecosystem of partners, with different, let's say, vendors in the pitch, yeah, it's so important that you have that one guy at least, or at least a leader type yeah, that you can bring parties together with different, completely different ideas and um, let's say targets maybe sometimes uh, in the conflict uh, all together, but having in mind, this is our, my customer. So there is something I would say, it's so crucial to have the leader that's bringing people and let's say a clear target together that at the end, it's a team approach with external stakeholders, wherever you do not have disciplinary connection. It's just about having a, a common goal and common understanding how to win the pitch. And so this is why I so <laughs> stressed this point. The, the crucial thing for me is still the innovative leader at the top of this team. Thank you. That's a lesson for life, Alex, way beyond <laughs> winning deals. Frank, what do you think? Join us. Yeah, from, uh, from SAP perspective, it's even, I would like to say, an unfair question. Because uh, in, our, in our business segment, which Alex and myself are representing, uh, and I, I guess you are a little bit uh, um, surprised about to hear it. We have a partner first strategy and we even have a customer segment, which we are really more or less dedicating uh, independently to, car- to partner business. So we are a very, very strong believer in this business segment, uh, not depending now on the size, if it's a small or a big deal, but we are really uh, convinced at SAP that we only scale in this business segment via partners. So our partner ecosystem is a kind of our, uh, our, our plot. Uh, without our partner ecosystem, SAP would not survive. And we, inly, we even go beyond. Um, be, uh, if you see our SAP portfolio, one of our strategies, for example, is as well uh, to make our software, to say it with very simple words, uh, even better by um, by intellectual property added added by our partners, and it's it's from my perspective really really uh, comparable with what uh, Apple did, for example, in the Apple Store. So you can, as a as a developer, you can even uh, add an app in the App Store, and in our case, in SAP case, it's the same. And uh, I see it more or less really as a kind of a, of a, so as a partner ecosystem, I see as one of the biggest levers to scale in business. And I was working uh, in some years ago in, a, in an area where we had proprietary systems. And once we changed it and we opened, uh, let's say, the platform, then the business exploded. So I'm a really believer and fan of everything what is, uh, what is related to ecosystem. Thank you very much, Frank. A lot of passion here, Neil. Good topic. Let's move on to statement number two from Alex. I like this. You say, is it really worth fighting for the mega deal? And you put mega deal in quotes. Typically, the chance to win is lower than in smaller deals as competition is high. And on the other side, the vendor and their ecosystem have to invest more in the pre-sales phase. At the end, it's like gambling and the addiction to games. The higher the jackpot, the higher the stakes. But just one can win and only the jackpot. There's no second prize. This is more lessons in life, 
Alex. Alex, talk to me. How does this apply to our topic? Go ahead. Thank you. We will discuss uh, where you're referring to. Is it to the wife? I don't know. So thank you. With that, yes, put it that way. Yeah, you, you can imagine every seller, as I said earlier, will never forget his big ticket, his big deal, his first biggest deal ever. But then at the end, also the company yeah, keeps something in mind. When, they, when you flashback a little bit from companies, seeing a lot of things um, going into, in terms of resources, in terms of emotions, passions, whatever, goes into one deal. Yeah? And once you win it, everything seems to be okay. But even then, yeah, it could be possible that you have done something for the company that is not really really valuable because you put out the best whatever kind of uh, conditions you make concessions this is echoing maybe to some other customers putting you under pressure your dependency on this big big customer now and there are a lot of things where yeah. then the question came up is it really worth to go there is it really worth and also then to the chances to lose yeah, because a lot of other vendors competitors are really really catching up here very soon and so with that, for me, the question is, yes, you should, no, not the question, the answer is, yes, you should go for that mega deal if you're prepared. And this is a little bit coming back to also Neil's uh, statement, mm -hmm. should be clear about your chances, stepping into a tender where already a lot of people and also cool companies beneath you are in. But on the other side, if you have the chance to create and build something up from the scratch, so this is something where I would see the, the chance to be more successful is to go there with a clear plan and maybe, and this is now the, the other thing, yeah, customer centricity and listening is good. Better is to understand really how you can surprise the customer with something he does not know, with something he said, wow, I have never thought of it. This is so crazy idea. This is so transforming my business. Maybe this is an amazing outcome. Hey, we have to talk a little bit broader and come then with C-level approach and whatever. Create your maybe small pain point at the beginning to completely other level and pitching then the real big deal where nobody else of the competitors at that point have this, this connection to customer and person yeah, because you came with something surprisingly. So with that, I would say, yes, was a rhetorical question. But on the other side, a lot of people just think about the mega euros or dollars seeing in front of them and forget about the real thing, how to structure the mega deal. Thank you. Fascinating. Now we have some game theory in here, I think. Yeah. Oh, we, oh, we surprised the prospect. Let's go around the table. Frank, you are sitting next to Alex. What do you think, Frank? Uh, I completely agree on uh, on this statement that uh, we need to uh, deliver a kind of a surprise to uh, the customer. And there is obviously an evidence. Uh, we have looked as well in uh, the evidence when we are closing big deals or not. And there is uh, obviously a kind of a trigger for big deals, which is uh, putting the customer on the next level. And as Alex uh, has pointed it out, uh, to surprise the customer, bringing him on the next level by challenging the customer. Um, we have as well, uh, if you're selling, sometimes you have, uh, as we said it in the very early beginning, you have some special expertise. You have seen many, many companies and you have seen many processes outside and you are even aware, perhaps uh, even more than the customer itself about uh, existing best practices uh, out there 
which can help the customer to transform the business and be uh, uh, even better than before. And uh, if you can, if you can, uh, if you can communi communicate such a trigger uh, to a customer to bring him on the next level and doing something different, which supports hopefully his unique selling proposition, then of course you can uh, easily convince a customer or even better convince a customer to, uh, uh, to go for a big deal and to go for a big idea, let's say. What I, what I love as well is what uh, Alex uh, has, has pointed out with his kind of passion in saying uh, sometimes it's a little bit gambling and we need some structure. And uh, here uh, it's good that we, we, we have as well evidence to, uh, to uh, regulate a little bit the love and the passion of our sales guys by having, I don't want to say, but I, I let me use this word, uh, forensic deal management and deal decision finding process. So exactly as Alex explained, um, it needs to be very clear uh, when to start a big deal because it costs you a lot of money, of course. If you're losing, like Alex explained it, then you're looking uh, not very good. And uh, you need to manage the deal uh, as well in a kind of a forensic way. Uh, this year we have very, very good um, evidence and uh, practices as well already in place. Uh, to really help the uh, team uh, to, uh, let's say, go in the bird perspective and not being completely in the gambling and uh, hunting uh, modus. Thank you, Frank. Makes me think of the lyrics for Kenny Rogers' The Gambler. Know when to hold him, know when to fold him. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Okay, there you go. Leaving money on the table and leave, taking your pride with you. Neil, join us. What do you think? We're talking about an interesting concept here. Neil, join us. Indeed, and I think uh, we're all in danger of agreeing here, but that's a good thing. Um, and Frank touched on this of, um, deal forensics and um, often not just looking at when you're winning but when you're losing the win-loss reviews are important part to understand because um, I think um, in large deal scenarios as, as we know there's a lot of resource goes into that um, and it's can be quite easy to get it wrong so it's about not you, know, you need to understand what the customer's drivers are and the needs and the decision-making processes and all those things. Um, and then adding in that extra ingredient, I think, is important on the win-loss reviews I've done, um, where that adds just the, you know, the review process of those bids, where the customer or prospect customer can see how you're thinking differently to, to problems and solutions and that adds just another dimension that could make the edge on, on closing those deals so yeah, I think they're they're all valid points when you're constructing your own you know major deal program thank you Neil interesting comments around this is turning into quite an interesting conversation I'm very very pleased and enlightened by all of the comments and, and good starting statements Frank Strack you are up next I'm looking at statement number three let me read a little bit have you expanded for about two minutes and then we'll see what Neil is sitting next to you and then Alex have to say so Frank told me before the show digitalization I love that word digitalization six syllables that's the longest one so far digitalization is a key driver for company transformation and 
and so big deals. Tipping points in industries are special events to drive business transformation. The current digitalization amplified by COVID-19 is such a tipping point in the enterprise business application market. Frank, why don't you tell us a little bit more and then we will ask the other two gentlemen to chime in. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, as we started already in the discussion, uh, what really causes a big deal and when is a customer uh, ready to uh, go into a big deal and as well a big deal investment from customer perspective? Um, this is uh, from my perspective, uh, if you are if you are in a in a in a, in the transformation period or in a in a, um, it's a very strong uh, development of uh, the uh, the business outside, which we see now as well uh, due to the fact that we had this uh, COVID situation. Uh, it's a very, very worse situation, but on the other hand side, uh, it's as well a kind of a lever now to uh, uh, innovate your business and to change your business. Mm -hmm. And uh, even uh, in the times now of, uh, of uh, the COVID, um, there is a recent uh, McKinsey study which asked uh, the um, the CXO um, area uh, of uh, it was a global study I assume uh, what will be now uh, uh, if they are in the COVID time and after the COVID time as well their main investment which they are expecting in the nearest future and uh, the uh, answer was um, they will spend um, in in uh, digitalization of their company. So the adoption of business technologies to uh, really automate uh, the processes. This is uh, obviously on a very high interest level of the CXOs and the decision makers, which are sitting, let's say, on the other side to, to sell a big deal. And um, from my perspective, it's really a great timing for vendors especially in the enterprise application market uh, to uh, use this time and to help the customers uh, to put their investment really in changing, transforming and optimizing their business. Thank you, Frank. Neil, join us. What do you think? Um, definitely. And um, as, we, as we emerge into this new era, uh, it's fundamentally changing the way businesses operate on different levels, whether in manufacturing or service sectors or different industries. Everyone's having to rethink um, the way their operational level. And that impacts then the technology that uh, companies may need and um, the way you approach, you know, new challenges for, for any customers, whether you're um, whatever sector you're in. And I think it has transformed, you know, in three months <clears throat> and accelerated the move towards working differently. And um, I was actually reading a, um, I won't say the company, it is public domain, uh, but it was an analyst briefing from a large IT outsource company. I think they'd done 13 billion in deals in 2019. Um, all of those deals involve cloud platform infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, which shows you just how dramatically that the cloud technologies are impacting and even more so now in, now in this new era, um, the way we're all working and the, like we're using now today, you know, we're on various cloud platforms now as we speak. Mm -hmm. So um, that, uh, you know, innovation is changing the structures of how we approach deals and changing what customers and companies need to be doing with technology. Thank you, Neil. Alex, join us. What do you think? Wrap this up for me. 
Cool. Then uh, let's be a little bit provocative. Can be also killer. Yeah. Can this kind of digitalization topic, and we know about this buzzword, nobody in my segment will just listen and say, oh, digitalization, never heard of it. Wow, great, we should go for that. But of course, it's a momentum right now, of course, to many also maybe private topics you experienced uh, over the last months, but you should come with the right story. Yeah. So yes, it's a door opener, but be careful also from my, our experiences, especially when you go out there. Yes, coming from SAP, we do have a lot of staff stories uh, how to um, to help customers, but you should be prepared no matter where you are. Yeah, coming also from IoT scenarios, whatever. Nice marketing slides, but be here very, very. Um, I'll say careful that also the customer is very well prepared already, having so many information gathered already in that company, so that you're also challenging yourself and the customer. But then the door is open. I would agree with the, the other one for big, big. Tip. Thank you, Alex. I, I have a question for the panel uh, before we, we get ready for our crystal ball predictions. My question, maybe I should address this to Alex. You mentioned leadership is so important. Uh, from the partnership perspective, an innovation partnership, which is part of our key topic today, when you engage with a partner, you say, hey, XYZ company, we're ABC company, and let's join forces, let's collaborate, let's align our resources, let's go into this deal. Should the leader, and maybe this is a yes or no, answer we'll do alex and then neil and then frank and then we'll go to predictions should the leader of that that quest or that project or that deal say to the partner this is our partnership philosophy this is our big win winning team deal construction phase approach if you are on board with how we want to do it then we'd be happy to work with you in other words does the leader set the ground rules for that game and then the partner has the choice of saying well, we want to come in and make it all different because we're going to take the lead. So, Alex, is it up to the leader of the team that invites the partner? I think we just have time for a yes or no. Alex and then Neil and then Frank. Alex? No. No. Neil? Depending on the bid, but uh, if they're leading the bid, then the, the you know, they should lead the strategy, but um, it should be contributory from the partners as well. Frank? In our situation, it's very easy. If it's a partner-led deal, the partner is leading the deal and is as well uh, saying, uh, is, is defining the, the rules of the game. And uh, if it's uh, a direct deal driven by our direct sales guys, then of course it's uh, the same rule, but uh, turned around. Okay, thank you. That's all we have time for. Neil, this may be another topic. Who leads the deal? When you have partners <laughs> collaborating, who gets yes. to lead the deal? Interesting. Very instructive, gentlemen. Neil, let's give you 60 seconds. That's all we've got for you. Then Alex, tee it up. And then Frank, and then we'll finish. This is the time for the crystal ball predictions round. Take a look into the, the cloudosphere or some dealosphere and tell me what do you predict will change for deals? Um, let's say, I'm tempted to say by the end of 2020, which has been a disruption in every single way for every person on the planet uh, and company included but you could go farther out neil 60 seconds predictions go i've got two bonnie i think uh, the first one i'm seeing more and more scenarios where clients have customers that are also becoming partners because those customers are also innovating their own technology into their own products and services um, so it's not just a relationship where the customer is using technology in the company but needs technology partnerships to you know, leverage technology into their own products. 
Um, and secondly, I think we see that uh, a really supercharged um, transformation of cloud platform um, technologies prevalent across small business and large business uh, as we, you know, go into new ways of working and operations. Thank you. Brief and to the point. Alex, prediction, go. I would say we are we are so consumption-based, uh, sometimes also in the consumer area, where you see a lot of changes of investments change. Yeah, So not putting all, all one-time purchase or all the, the money in the one-time purchase, but going for some kind of cloud-based solutions and with that consumption-based paper use and all that stuff, I would predict there are a lot of fewer fewer deals, big deals, mega deals out there. And with that, be, be very, 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 very careful how to step into that big deal because there are then a lot of others want to have these very few big deals. Okay, thank you. Frank Strack, what do you see in that crystal ball? <laughs> Yeah, to summarize my statements before and put it in a kind of a prediction, we are living in turbulent times and we need to adopt our business and business models in a way if it was not expected as we discussed it. So we uh, as SAP and the whole partner ecosystem, which we discussed very intensively, is placed from my perspective very well to address his future and as well as the current needs because we are combining in our way with our ecosystem a, the right solution, B, the right approach, and C, the right values, which we discussed, discussed very intensively here. So uh, we at SAP and together with our valued partners, we are, from my perspective, very well prepared to support our customers in their future journey. Thank you very much. And if our listeners can extrapolate from the lessons and the use cases Frank and Alex gave from SAP and Neil gave from his perspective, you can use these lessons, you can use this primer or primer, wherever you say it, to think about how you, your company wants to deal with your big deals. I think a lot of really, I know a lot of very good, solid business lessons in our conversation today. I want to thank Neil. It, As I said, it's about time you came on the show. You're one of the sponsors and one of the developers of this series, and I appreciate your sharing your time and your expertise with us. Alex Kinsey, it's been wonderful getting to know you. Frank Strack, the same. Very serious gentleman and a lot of good knowledge and expertise here. I also have a shout out to the one and only Noella Spooner at SAP who helped to put this together. Neil, she does a wonderful job uh, helping to construct. She does indeed. She really does, getting wonderful panels and picking great topics and a lot of work. I know Andres Martin works behind the scenes, too, as well, with some of the abstracts. And Maggie Goralska helped with the sponsorship. Shout out to Aaron at the Business Channel, Voice America World Talk Radio, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. It's been a pleasure. I hope you learned something. I'm inspired and energized. I wish I had some big deals to go after, but it's just me, and I just like talking to smart people. So this is my big deal, is being here with all of you. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. And as I like to say, my car is getting two and a half months to the gallon. I hope yours is doing just as well. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Neil Cox at the Profiling Labs, just like Alexander Kinsey at SAP. We call him Alex, just like Frank Strack at SAP. Have a great day, everyone. Be safe, be smart, be well, and we'll talk to you next time. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Power of Partnerships. 
Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.